Welcome to the Sajcast. I'm Mark Osson. And I'm Stacy Roberts. And we, we are, are the Sons, Sons of Joy. Joy. You're listening to Sajcast number eight. Our eighth ever Sajcast. Today's Sajcast is sponsored by Honesty. Defined as free of deceit and untruthfulness. Sincere. Makers of credibility and crushed self-esteem. I hear that their research and development department is working on good government. But we're not quite sure there's a market for it in the world right now. Not a lot of takers. And just to juxtapose honesty, its opposite is an intentionally false statement. A lie. A lie. And I don't want to arbitrarily focus on the word intent, but uh, as you delve into honesty, intent does play a part. Because uh, you're almost trying to prove something by an opposite here, but what we're saying is, is that deceit is intentional. You do it on purpose. You knowingly do not tell the truth. And therefore, honesty at least suggests that you are knowingly telling the truth. Or not knowingly lying. Exactly. <laughs> so, there's a couple, I guess there's a couple kinds of honesty and lies, right? Or, or well, I guess there's only one kind of honesty, but there's a lot of kinds of lies. Yeah, I mean, and again, when, you're, when your sponsor is honesty, and, you know, we, uh, we had to give it some thought. You know how carefully we select our sponsors and how we try to make them fit the podcast, but... It turns out that honesty is best described by talking about lies. It does It does give us some useful language to work from. Exactly. So in a question of why would people be honest, it's probably more instructive to talk about why people lie. And so when you're talking about what is there to be gained from lying, well, then the, the natural opposite of that is what is there to be gained from telling the truth. Well, and let's, let's, let's dive into what kind of lies are there because there seem to be all kinds of lies, right? There's white lies, implying there must be little black lies somewhere. <laughs> you can have them extracted at your dermatologist if you need. Right. There are lies to spare someone's feelings, which implies there are lies designed to hurt someone's feelings. <laughs> Indeed. I, I guess there are. That's right. And so we'll have to have a Sajcast that's sponsored by the opposites of other things. <laughs> Not this week, however. It would be a Muppet-themed sort of, what's right. the opposite of this? But I, as I thought, we had distilled lying down to three, was it? The purpose of lying, one, is to protect yourself. Or, or to further your own interests. Or to further your own interests. Or what you perceive to be a furthering of your interest. Often that backfires. How long are these sajcasts, anyway? But if you're talking about protecting your own interests, protecting someone else's interests, those are pretty broad definitions. Right. So, the, yeah, I mean, there's the self and there's the other. Right. And then there's the... I'm not sure it's it's fully admitted to the canon of lies, but lying by omission. Yes. Not... Giving out a vital piece of information, which is a convenient dodge of, well, politicians for one, in which they say, well, I didn't lie. I just didn't say anything. And we uh, did we come to a consensus about whether we bought into this lie of omission? I don't think we did because lying and honesty are are not passive acts. They shouldn't be passive acts because they're driven by intent, right? And so omitting something implies to me passivity when you could say something to either protect yourself protect someone else or not right omission is just doing nothing it is convenient to think that doing nothing gets you out of culpability but it's neither one nor the other it is nothing well unless we want to apply the uh the layer of intent i mean um, if you're intentionally omitting something then I think you're further along the spectrum towards lying than you unintentionally lie. Right. 
But you're not explicitly lying or explicitly telling the truth by our definition. Because you're not doing or saying really anything. It reminded me of an episode of The Simpsons where uh, I think Marge asked, you know, Homer, where are you going tonight? And Homer replied, Marge, I'm not going to lie to you. And he left. That's right. <laughs> so there you go. That's absolute omission and willful omission. Mm-hmm. And there's no lie. That's right. But it does it does then get to how whatever it is that you said, be it truthful or not, is taken by the recipient and or listener. So we looked up great big lies in history, and one of them was a Trojan horse. Yes, which we disagreed with. We disagree with it because it's not a lie. The um, At best, it's an omission in which the Greeks did not say there's an army in the belly of that horse. Yeah. The, they, they employed a tactic. It was a deceit. And the fact that the Trojans bought it... Well, and we should maybe clarify for those who aren't history buffs what exactly that was. Well, first of all, I think we should clarify that everybody is a history buff and should be. <laughs> but if you're not, just in case... In case you forgot. In case you forgot... The during the Trojan War at the the near to the end, the Greeks made it appear as if they had packed up and gone home, and they left a giant horse at the gates of Troy as a peace offering, which was customary at the time. Right. So, and as far as we know, they didn't leave a note saying this is a peace offering. It was just because it was customary. You just left it there, right? Because you were leaving. Because you were leaving, and so the war's over. This is our this is our little gift to you, and you can, you know, you can put it in your scrapbook and say, this is when we beat the Greeks. Thanks for killing all of our buddies. Enjoy this. Enjoy the horse. <laughs> they did not say there's a big army hidden inside. They also, you know, the Trojans didn't inspect the horse thoroughly. Clearly. Clearly not. And so, again, the the question is, oh, they bought that? Oh, well, that was a successful lie then. But really, it was none of those things. Yes. That was just the, the Trojans being less than thorough. Well, and since we are talking about honesty in the context of its opposite, let's talk about an honest lie. A real lie, as it were. For example, President Clinton. President Clinton lied and said he did not have sex with Monica Lewinsky. Now, of course, in his head, he believed he was telling the truth because of the truly weird definition of sex. And is. And, yes. Depends what your definition of well, is. Is. Right. <laughs> But it was a lie. Now, in politics, if your anticipation is that politicians are going to lie, then I believe some of the burden falls upon the questioner. Because I think that a properly phrased question would have forced the president to actually lie. Whereas the way, uh. whereas the, way the question was phrased gave him wiggle room, and he took it. I never had sex with that girl. That's right. They didn't define sex. They didn't. They didn't specify. I was going to say, and yeah, I guess in the in the language of many young people today, perhaps they didn't. That's right. We then judge President Clinton based upon the question that was not asked that he lied about, and that. <laughs> well, again, you could argue that that's kind of what happened to the Trojans. The Trojans never said, "Hey, Greeks, before you get on the boat, thanks for the horse. Anything we should know about it? <laughs> no, it's fine. Fully under warranty." No Maybe suggest that you wheel it into your city. Now's good. Um, and, and so then the other lie, and you know, it's nice that the ten biggest lies in, in history, most of them happened here in America <laughs> and were committed by presidents of the United States. And so one thing to learn from all this is if you're trying to ferret out the truth or ferret out a lie, make sure you ask the right questions. 
Yes, and so, I mean, invariably, when we discuss lying, the, the first lie that seems to come up, or the one that came to almost everyone's mind first, was, you know, does my butt look big in this? Right. That, you know, that, that question. There was some back and forth about whether or not a truthful answer would be helpful. <laughs> right. Well, and, and then it also begs the question of whether telling the truth is an, an automatic good thing. Yes. Right? So there's a difference between doing good and being honest. They may not be the same thing. There are also, to consider, as, as we discussed in pre-production, there are things I don't care about. If, for example, I were to say, and let's be clear, we're not talking about each other. We're talking about our significant others, the women. <laughs> When your girlfriend says to you, does my butt look big? The proper answer is, I like your butt, and so it doesn't matter to me what it looks like. <laughs> okay. That's honest, right? Assuming but, it doesn't matter to you what it looks like. Assuming it doesn't matter. Yes. Exactly right. And so, you know, but but then you're into the question of, is it okay to lie about things you don't care about? Because that's a pretty, you know. if well, and, and are you really lying? It goes back to intent. I mean, if you really right. don't have any intent there, if you don't have a preference, are you lying? Well, and when somebody asks you if their butt looks big, what sort of scale are we using? Are we, are we doing measurements? Yes, we're you know, quantifying things. Yes, but, the, but the, the, to ask the right question is this. In your opinion, based upon your judgment, do you think that my posterior area <laughs> seems excessively large given the nature of the covering that they are currently ensconced in? Indeed. And so, when asked properly, you could say... Why, yes. These pants are defective. <laughs> <laughs> and again, perhaps not a lie. Or, if you wanted to really wiggle out of it, you could say, I would not make pants that way. <laughs> because they are unflattering to everyone's posterior, not just yours, but today, a defect in workmanship, in clothing, has landed on you. Well, yes. And which so, I regret. But and, but to, to circle around to this, what what it occurred to us was... What's the question really being asked? Exactly. Is it really be about the buttocks and the pants or the dress or whatever? Or is it, how do you feel about me? That's right. Are you attracted to me as a person? Or is it really about, do these particular pair of Wranglers not work for me? Right. I mean, is it a question of fashion? Is it a question of, yes. should I take these pants back to the store because they are unflattering, in your opinion? Yes. Or do you find me gross and disgusting? <laughs> 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 Indeed. Again, it comes down to the asker, right? And and what well, are they really after? Well, and this is the this is the thing is the people who are up in arms about liars are often people who failed to ask the right questions and or were taken in by something they wanted to believe. And so if you were to tell your girlfriend, no, I think your butt looks fantastic in those jeans, and they wear them out with their girlfriends, and the first words out of their girlfriend's mouths are Oh, you should not have worn those pants because they make your butt look really big. Well, whose fault is it? Oh, yeah. Failure to ask the right question. And so if, well, and we'll, we'll, let's skip over Clinton because this is a family sidecast. <laughs> but if no one asked George Bush, do you have proof that Saddam Hussein actively participated in the planning of our, of the 9-11 attacks? He would say, no, I don't have proof of that. I believe it. Right. I got no proof. And the fact that I believe it is enough for me to go after him for it. If that was something that you wanted to believe, then you were okay with it, whether it was true or not. Well, and, and the argument there is that if Bush did believe it, then he's not being intentionally false. Exactly right. Yeah. 
the the thrust of our honesty argument to be made is you have to blame everyone involved. You have to you have to put the responsibility on the question being asked as well as the answer. Yes. And I I I tend to try to be pretty honest, brutally some would say, um in not sparing people's feelings with the answers that I give. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the workplace, this is a, a mixed bag. And in your social life, it can also be something of a mixed bag. However, I think that honesty, when you seek it out from somebody else, a lot of times, it's like medicine you know you have to take. There have been plenty of times over the last 25 years where I've come to you and said, all right, honestly, what do you think of the following thing? Right. Right? What I'm not looking for at that point is what I want to hear. What would make me happy and go away? Because these things are not helpful. Mm -hmm. And so the big questions of our lives, uh, just to, you know, let's just pick one at random. Should I get divorced? There you go. And at the time, you said, yes. And I didn't do it. (laughs) And I spent three more years in a marriage that was doomed to end anyway. Right? So my point in asking was, I need an honest answer. And part of the reason for that is, there are very few other people who will give me an honest answer, which is why Honesty, our sponsor, is the maker of credibility. Yes. Because what we're saying is is that if you know somebody who is, at least tends to be, honest, as much as they, as much as far as you know, right? Yes. then that person has credibility. That's someone that you can go to and say, here's the situation, I need to know what you think, and I need an honest opinion. Right? And so, if your credibility is rock solid, why throw it away on does my butt look big? It's, <laughs> exactly. kind of, it's a frivolous question. Yes. It's not worthy of credibility at that point. It is. And, and again, as you said, you could always clarify the question. Exactly. Well, and, well, is, and is it, is it that you seek to, to know that I still love you or that, you know, do I, I got two more days before the receipt's bad? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is it? Right. And is it, is it a historical thing? Are you, are you, um, trying to impugn my historical support of your butt <laughs> and how it looks in jeans? So there's a lot going on there, but um, again, asking to clarify the question, well, that doesn't seem like that would help you out in that particular situation. Because if your girlfriend says, do these jeans make my butt look big? And you say, well, now exactly what do you mean when you ask that question? I think you're done. I, don't, I think that whatever good you were trying to accomplish is likely ruined in tatters, as it were. Well, the first time out anyway. Right, until they get to realize that this is just how you are. Yes. And then they... <laughs> and, and yet they remain. <laughs> and then they must say, you know, in all honesty, that's one of your less attractive qualities. <laughs> so, yeah, looking at, I guess, just looking back at the, at the list of big lies, um, we, we talked a little bit, too, about uh, the idea that cigarettes are bad for you. Well, and more specifically, that nicotine is not addictive. Well, I was thinking even further back, but I mean, the, you know, there was a point in our history oh, right. when cigarettes were thought to be um, healthful. That's Gazoot, right. yes, even. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and this was in the uh, the era when White Castle first came onto the scene, and because you could see them cutting up the meat in the back, and they all wore white, it was better for you, and meat was good, and smoking was good, and these weren't lies. Mm-hmm. They weren't factually correct, but everybody believed they were saying the truth because that was the best information they had. Right. Well, and, and, you know, when there's evidence to support one way or the other, because I know my father lived to be around 86 years old, and which is something I probably should know with more certainty, but he smoked from age 15 on. 
pack a day the whole time. Mm-hmm. He got none of the side effects of smoking that, that are advertised right now. And so if you look at just his example, you could say, no, smoking's not bad for you. But at the time that they put that out, they were extolling the health benefits of tobacco the way at one point the health benefits of cocaine and heroin were promulgated. Mm-hmm. And so... And liquor. And liquor. And so it, it could just be things that are factually... That turn out to be factually inaccurate, but are believed to be true at the time, which gets to intent. Yes. Now, years later when the tobacco company said nicotine is not addictive, and they knew that to be false, that was an intentional yes. dishonesty. And so that's the kind of distinction that we're trying to make. Indeed. And so... Before we move on to the rest of our Sajcast and what has certainly gone down as the longest intro ever, <laughs> um, when when is it okay to lie? Well, and one of the things that we talked about in pre-production is that it is okay to lie to give someone comfort. Well, yeah, so there's a, a couple of situations where um, it's less bad, <laughs> um, where where there's there's clearly intent to lie, but for which... Uh, no one's going to hold you especially accountable. Well, as there, and there's the white lies. How how do you feel today? There, there's uh, there's the social ramifications to be considered when you you know someone asks you that and you say, well, this morning, you know, my guts are in complete disorder and I have what we call here uh, locally the Cincinnati sp- spritzer. <laughs> Indeed. Now, of course, this is more appropriately set in food porn, but Cincinnati <laughs> spritzer. Is what you get from eating things like the local chili, um, White Castle, <laughs> White Castle, and so when I said it was a family-themed Sajcast, it was not a lie. I just literally was unaware that we'd be talking <laughs> about this subject further down in the Sajcast. Right, but anyway, I mean, so the, the 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 point here is that there's again the the intent of the asker is. As a courtesy, as a formality, um, right. it's in, in a greeting, to, not not it, in expecting an answer. Exactly how are you right. doing? Exactly right. So when you encounter a work colleague, Bill from accounting, and he says, how are you doing today? He's not asking the right question. Right. What he's asking is, since I have to greet you in some fashion because we are colleagues, I'm going to pick, how are you today? And I expect to be able to keep walking yes. and yet listen <laughs> to the answer and not get bogged down in the truth. Exactly. However, if it was your family doctor asking you that question, hmm. he'd get the full and unvarnished, in all its disgusting glory, <laughs> how you feel that day. So again, the intent of the asker, the intent of the respondent. Right. And so since I guess I guess the bar that we're crossing here is that because the asker doesn't really want the truth, in not supplying it to them, there's really not a lot of ethical dilemma. In fact, you can almost say you're completing a, an agreed-upon transaction. It is, yeah. Right? It's it's like the example you gave of the soldier on the battlefield who has been blown apart by cannon fire. And he says, am I going to be okay? Well, yeah. is he really asking? <laughs> well, I mean, he may legitimately not know that his feet are up by his head <laughs> because, of, because of the trauma. But, yeah, or, or even a little, you know, a child in that situation. Right. But It's comfort. Is, is it, yeah, it, to say it'll be okay, close your eyes, and, and just relax, things will be fine, is that a wrong lie? It's, is it, is it's it intentional, even, and it's untruthful. <laughs> is it even a lie? Because the question was... Will I be okay? Well, then you're getting philosophical. Well, but we've been <laughs> philosophical this entire time. What we're trying to say is we're trying to put some burden on the people asking the question. <laughs> he has some trauma. 
There's a lot of blood loss. This may not be a good time for clarification. Exactly. And so asking him to clarify the question, I think will go over about as well <laughs> as asking your girlfriend to clarify the butt and jeans debacle <laughs> referred to earlier. Uh, the other the other one that we came up with was, you know, a, a very small child who is going to die of cancer in the not-so-distant future tomorrow. You know, and they ask, is is there a heaven? Well, one, because of uh, intent, we, we honestly don't know. Uh, we may have beliefs one way or the other, but we don't have any factual evidence. No so proof. I don't know that we could even lie in this case, but if we were to think that there wasn't a heaven and we said that there was, is that a bad lie? Right. We're going to let this one slide. Exactly. But uh, yeah, if you're ever on a congressional board asking questions of the president, be more specific. That's right. <laughs> corner, ask, them, corner them well. Ask the question you really want answered because when it comes to politics, that's what we deserve. We deserve to ask the, the best possible questions in hopes of getting the best possible answers. And if, if you believe that our public servants are indeed lying to us, at least... Part of the blame rests on us for not asking them the questions that we want asked and holding their feet to the fire to give us an answer. Indeed. So, on to current events. Ah, yes. What all happened this week? Well, and and we're going to avoid politics because this week was a particularly snarly week for politics. I'm going to talk about a few things. That's not a lie through omission. <laughs> no. We're, we're admitting our omission. We're admitting our omission. We're saying we choose not to talk about that because we don't, we don't want to get bogged down in that. Much like Bill from Accounting. Yes. So um, we are taking the lead from Bill from Accounting, who is uh, reputedly a very shallow and superfluous man and just wants to get on with his day. Uh, we're going to move on to current events that are a bit closer to home. My children, as children across this nation have, started back to school this week. And my youngest daughter came home with a tale from gym class in which the teacher, uh, as part of the, you know, uh, uh, preview of the syllabus, here's what we're going to do. We're going to weigh you now, today. We're going to figure out what your body mass index is today. And we're going to put you on a plan to reduce those numbers if they need to be reduced or increase them if they need to be increased. We're going to look for what we consider to be your ideal weight and your ideal BMI and get you on a plan over the course of the quarter, semester, whatever they have in school now, to get you to this range. It's worth mentioning this is a public school. This is a public school. And um, someone must have asked how this factors into the grade. And for whatever what reason... What if I don't? <laughs> yes, the what if I don't. And I'm not going to imply that it was my child who asked that question. But she is a bit irreverent and has some authority problems. And so it might have been her. But let's set that aside. The... The students in the class came away with the impression that if they did not lose weight, if that was so required, if they did not reach the goal set out by the, the teacher, that they would fail the class. They would fail gym class for being fat. Yes. Or skinny. Or skinny, as the case may be. But being less than ideal yes. from a weight and body mass index perspective. This is this is the kind of message we want to send to our teenagers who may have some uh, I don't know body issues already. Exactly. Right. Some dysmorphia here. <laughs> you failed. You failed. <laughs> and so my daughter came home and said that her whole class was in, um, as best described, a tizzy about this, and they were all panicking and they were all thinking that they were going to fail gym because um, because of their body mass index. And I told them first of all, don't worry about that. There's no reason to be all in a tizzy. Uh, in tizzied, as it were, because that will never happen. Because 
as you and I both know, if if our children failed gym class because of a weight and and body mass index problem, there'd be a meeting with the principal. I think it would be on national news, actually. Yeah, it would make the papers. And and schools don't really need this level of scrutiny in this day and age. And so I didn't really want her to stress about it. Because one of the things about kids in school nowadays is there seems to be a lot of stress. There and, was some, I remember. Yeah. I mean, you and I were not overly stressed. Um, because we had a general sense that, yeah, whatever it is you ask us to do, we can probably do it. We were competent in that way. But um, now I'm sensing a lot of stress, and I think that maybe nowadays the children use it to motivate themselves. Like if I can build up a fake, or not so fake, but if I can build up some kind of fear, it will help motivate me to do better than, oh, you know. Yes. So so I guess there's that. And in, in that sense, it is it is useful. But this is the kind of stress where I'm in fear of something that is completely beyond my control and is really not a good standard to grade people on. And so my advice was this. It does no harm to shoot for your ideal weight and BMI. Mm-hmm. And if your teacher is giving you a plan that might achieve those aims, there's no harm in doing that. Because what you don't want to do is you don't want to fail to meet the goal, but also fail to try. So you weren't you weren't suggesting some sort of civil disobedience involving chili cheese dogs in gym class? No, no, <laughs> because... Because civil disobedience is something that you probably have to come to naturally. It can't really be imposed. And you don't want to give any child as brilliant as our children (laughs) any ideas. (laughs) Because there's a real good chance that they will take them and expand upon them in ways that we did not fathom. And so you want to, again, going to the credibility issue, you want to give as fair an answer as possible. And the fairest answer is do what the teacher tells you. Try and follow the plan. But if you don't succeed, because there are countless reasons why you wouldn't, and there are countless reasons why you would, but it is essentially a crapshoot. Um, if you fail because of this, there will be a, it will be taken up by your parents, and that's, that's all you need to know. So, well, and did, to tie into the theme, did you suggest perhaps that the teacher was, ooh, what's the word? Lying? <laughs> well, yes, and this is one of those things where it is possible that the teacher was lying. And why would he lie in a case like this? He may have let his students believe that they were going to fail his class if they didn't improve their overall health. Well, and, and anecdotally, we learned of several other students who got home that day and started running around like crazy. So uh, it seems to have worked, if, it even seems if, to. If, assuming it is a lie. And assuming that it doesn't get out of hand. Assuming yes. that somebody doesn't starve themselves or, yes. you know, uh, unreasonably exercise. But again... Bulimic high school students, that's just what the, that's just what the new principal wants to hear. Exactly. And so what we're saying, what, what, what I I guess his intent, uh, assuming that he had intent is he wants them to go along with his plan to improve their state of health by holding up the threat that they might fail if they don't, which I gotta say is not so different than, than similar ploys engaged upon by teachers time immemorial. If you do not learn your multiplication tables, you will fail my math class. Yes. Right? It's the same sort of thing. It's inspiration, it's it's motivation, and in this case, it's all he had, and so he used it. And so, again, if the children came away with the impression that they would fail, um, he may perceive that as being helpful. Our job as parents is to let not that not get crazy. Yes. It must not get out of hand, and it must not be detrimental, and when it seems to be that way, that's when we step in. Um, much like the time in fifth grade, or sixth grade, when she had to build a robot that could work underwater. 
right? Yes, I remember that. Yes, so there was a robot. The, the, the task was to, to design and build a robot that could function underwater. And um, this is a grade five, not not fifth year grad school. Right. <laughs> yeah, we weren't at MIT, but the 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 problem I the only problem I had is that, well, I had two problems as a parent. One, I don't know how to design and build anything, so that means that the assistance you're going to get from me in this project is really going to be mostly cheerleading. As in, wow, I really hope you can do that. Because, I'll fill the tub. <laughs> yeah, I'll fill the tub, and I can go buy supplies like nobody's business. But when it comes to building a robot, not so much. But but really, part two was. Whatever's going to motivate this robot in terms of making it move and function underwater might involve electricity, and that could be dangerous. <laughs> and so uh, throughout this period in my child's life, I was really just kind of vigilant, which I think is at least one of the main jobs of parenthood is Indeed. to be vigilant and make sure that nothing bad happens. And um, so that's what I'm doing in the case of the school gym class controversy, which uh, may feature in future Sajcasts. Controversy. Controversy. Yes. Although it would be somewhat interesting if there was uh, extra credit given for for adjusting your BMI. Hmm? That that I mean that almost seems reasonably fair. I don't right. know. Well, because any reasonable plan to lose weight and adjust your BMI is going to be a reasonable and gradual approach. Yeah. And so it's not just the result that should matter, but it should matter the way in which you get there. If the quarter is six weeks long, and you're going up in terms of weight and BMI for five weeks, and then you suddenly crash down to where you're supposed to be. <laughs> that's doing it wrong. So as long as the teacher in this case is interested in the process as much as the result, then we might have something good going on. Yes. But if it is only the result that matters, then I think that's where parental vigilance is going to land all over him. Yes, because I, I could also see that the form of civil disobedience taking, and, and not to get on the soapbox because a podcast hardly seems like a place for that. <laughs> Well, how about you stop serving us garbage in the cafeteria? How about you stop giving us high fructose corn syrup and, you know, starchy potatoes by the pound? Right. How about you take out the soda machines from the hallway? And the then can we can talk. And the candy machines. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, you know, if... The faculty isn't on the high ground. <laughs> right. If you're genuinely interested in your result, then, um, you know, again, like we say, if you don't ask the right question and then you get lied to, who are we really blaming? It's it's the same sort of thing. Who's got responsibility on both sides of the issue? I may just be grumpy because I'm on a diet. There is that. But that's for food porn. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. But speaking of quasi-food-related stuff, apparently you uh, you met a celebrity this week. I did. Anybody who's interested in food has got to know that there are TV channels. Dedicated to the Dedicated subject. to food. Yes. Um, originally, it was just PBS and Julia Child and the Frugal Gourmet and Yan Ken Cook, but... But now on cable, you've got... How to boil water. How to boil water. <laughs> uh, but on, now on cable, you've got... Entire uh, channels. Entire yeah. channels. The Food Network, uh, the Cooking Channel, and the Travel Channel will yeah. occasionally delve into food. Um, my favorite is the Food Network. And that's mostly because um, that's where I landed. I was on vacation, actually, in Maine. And we turned to the Food Network. And instead of it being a boring show about, here's how you make a meatloaf... It was actually more of a reality TV show called Chopped, which we'll get into in future Sajcasts. But it was competitive cooking, mm -hmm. and that sparked my interest. Now, uh, listeners to prior Sajcasts, and I won't tell you which one because you're supposed to go back and listen to all of them from the beginning, you will notice that perhaps my credibility is strained by enjoying the fact that the Food Network is, is full of reality-style TV shows, yet I disdain the History Channel for the same thing. <laughs> So again, um, well, I choose to do that. 
Because one of them is food, which I really enjoy, and the other one is history, which I really enjoy. So there you have it. So um, anyway, we watched the Food Network, and one of the shows on the Food Network that my children like as well as me, in fact, my children probably like the show more than I do, is called Restaurant Impossible. And it is, um, it's, it, it's a pretty common theme. It's the, you have a failing restaurant and an expert chef and overall, uh, impressive guy is going to come in, tell you what you're doing wrong, uh, tell you how to fix it and then provide you with the means to do so. Usually yeah. in ways of money, new recipes and a, and a, a fixing up of the place. Yeah. A remodeler. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, originally I was watching, um, a show called Kitchen Nightmares with Gordon Ramsay mm-hmm. in which he did all the things I just mentioned. Only with a, a quite a liberal spraying of vulgarity. And so, indeed, indeed if you're going to watch that show with your younger child, you're, well, you just can't because they're going to ask you what all the bleeping <laughs> is. And well, you don't want to fill in those blanks. But when Restaurant Impossible came out, uh, it was a clean show. The host is a chef named Robert Irvine. He is British. Um, his past is, well, a bit sketchy. He was in the British Navy and he's cooked at the White House and, um, he's, he is run restaurants. He knows what it takes to run a successful restaurant. And so failing restaurants will call him and say, we need you to come down here and help us out. And so he travels all over America and he goes into a restaurant, tries the food, watches them serve people, uh, looks around at the decor. And then he invariably will criticize the food, rewrite the menu and bring in his team of contractors to remodel the restaurant. Um, what do we like about him? Well, we like his honesty. His almost agendaless honesty. You called me in to help you fix your failing restaurant. I'm telling you how to do that. There's nothing in it for me because two days from now I am gone never to return. So this is, I'm giving you the best, most honest advice that I have. And it is incumbent upon you to act upon it or not. And so it's refreshing because um, he has the knowledge and experience to lend the credibility to what he's saying. But he also really has no motive to lie. Uh, it makes for an interesting show. So this Restaurant Impossible show, we found out, was filming in Cincinnati this week. And the ways in which we found out was uh, partially owing to our friends at Twitter and partially the restaurant doing a pretty smart thing, which is they put it in the local papers. Ah. Because ideally, it's saying the following. Well, one, honestly, our restaurant's failing. Two, we're closed for a couple days, probably. We're closed for a couple days. Yeah. Uh, three, we're going to be on TV. And four, Robert Irvine is going to make our restaurant better. And so um, you should come here and eat our food and patronize our restaurant forever and ever. Now, of course, my part in all this is that my kids love this show. And here's an opportunity within striking distance to go and maybe meet Robert Irvine or see him from a great distance or at least, you know, be in proximity. I'm not sure what motivates uh, kids and their their fan uh, bent, you know, because I know that my daughter would love to hang out with Justin Bieber for a while or um, one time when uh, Josh Hutcherson of the Hunger Games was throwing out the first pitch at the Reds game, we were there and we're not really sports people. <laughs> so in this particular case, I said to the children, we have nothing to lose. By going to this restaurant, now that we know where it is, we know what days he's going to be there, let's go and just see what happens. You know? So Monday night, we drove out there, and we parked near this restaurant. We walked up, and there was almost nobody there, except for um, a couple of women who, when we arrived, turned to us and said, Are you stalkers, too? 
That's a tough question to answer. <laughs> and in an honesty, supported Sajcast. Ask for clarification. <laughs> I asked for clarification. What? what do you mean, stalker? Yeah, I said, what exactly do you mean? And they're like, well, we tweeted him incessantly until he gave up the location of where he was going to be, he being Robert Irvine. And uh, we knew what day he was going to get here, and so we drove down here, and now we are loitering in the parking lot, hoping to catch a glimpse of him. And, more to the point, we brought our cameras and our whole family. And we went inside the restaurant, we grabbed a producer, and said, we'd like Robert Irvine to come out and talk to us. I'm like, yeah, that's stalking. We haven't done most of this thing. <laughs> I we, did, we live around the corner. <laughs> yes, I did bring, uh, well, to be honest, I did bring my most of my family here. Um, and but, you had some cameras, but nothing special purpose. <laughs> right, we had some cameras. Well, we did have a pretty snazzy camera, but... It was uh, it was available to be deployed if should it become necessary. We all had our iPhones. I mean, of course, of course. And so we did that, but we didn't really persist. And once we found out that these stalkers had already arranged an appearance by Chef Irvine, we were content to wait in a perfectly normal, non-stalkery fashion. And so here's what happened: my youngest daughter said, "I'm not. I don't even have to meet Robert Irvine. I'd be happy if you just waved to me from a distance." So, oh, all right. Um, my oldest daughter wanted to meet Tom, the contractor, Tom the builder, um, who's a very buff and tall man, and he does all the remodeling. He's in charge of the remodeling. And in the course of the show, the two of them have this very uh, interesting dynamic in which Robert is always yelling at Tom because Tom's not working fast enough, and Tom, you know, grins and bears it. So, um, so at some point, within 45 minutes, Robert Irvine himself comes out into the parking lot and starts taking pictures uh, with the stalkers and their family. And, of course, we didn't want to get in the way of that because you really are not supposed to get between a stalker and their target. Yeah, let them get pictures. The police might need them later. Yes, we let that go on. But then, eventually, Robert Irvine came over and he talked to both of my children for a long time. Five minutes, you know. And um, and uh, while he didn't address me directly, he clearly divined who I was because he said to my children, he said, well, I have daughters, uh, two daughters who are 14 and 11, and so I'm going to give you my rules. Um, do well in school, get the best grades you possibly can, concentrate on your education, and no boys until you're 42. Which I thanked him for. Seems reasonable. Seems reasonable. And so my kids found that delightful, and, and now I have an advocate in the no boys yeah. department. And um, he took what must have been 50 pictures with them, and, um, and uh, he asked my youngest daughter, because I mentioned that she'd watched pretty much every episode of the show, he asked her what she liked about it, and she couldn't come up with an answer, or she didn't seem to be answering fast enough. And I said, well, don't say Tom, because <laughs> it might make him feel bad that really you're not watching the show for him, but for Tom. And so what he did was he summoned Tom to come out, which I thought, again, was great. And so he did his usual, you know, he yells really loud for Tom, Tom! And Tom's supposed to come out and say, oh, what do you want now? And they did, they did that right there live, you know. And Tom came out. And he seemed, he seemed very flattered to have fans who wanted to meet him and take pictures with him. And he took pictures with my daughters, and we then left. You know, without being thrown out. Which, yes. which I'd say that if, if we were stalkers, we wouldn't, we'd still be there now. Right? That's success. That's success. So we, we, we took our victory and retreated from the field. And um, the point of which is that my children had an experience that they will very likely remember for a while. They will certainly remember it every time they watch Restaurant Impossible. Yeah. And so I feel as though perhaps on this day, I accomplished something good. And that one episode will be especially special. Yes. And we're going to put it on the DVR if we can figure out how to work it. 
So I guess the last bit of, of current events is is a, a prognostication on my part that I won't be here next week. <laughs> not a lie. I'll be gallivanting, as you like to say. But this time, not for work, for pleasure. My own selfish, reckless pleasures. Well, one of these days we're going to have a Sodgecast that is actually brought to us by gallivanting. And we'll get to define the word. But gallivanting, by its very nature, implies that there's some fun involved. Oh, yes, but this is wholly for fun. There will okay. be no work to be done. This is a, a traditional vacation. Okay, you win. So, yes, my girlfriend Suzanne and I will jet off to Anchorage, Alaska, where we will spend, I forget, like 12 or 13 days, a while, a good while. We're leaving in the middle of the week, taking two weekends and just messing up everybody's week. Why take a vacation on a Monday, you know, or a Friday? Why don't you just break up the week? Then you have a half a week when you leave, a half a week when you get back. It's easier to transition this Yes, way. which you can segue into two weeks of not doing much at all. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, which is, I, I think I've made that three weeks at this point. <laughs> Your honesty is appreciated. Yes. Uh, yes, especially if my boss ever tunes in to the Sodcast. So, yeah, I won't I won't be around, but I'm sure that uh, uh, moving through Alaska and, uh, and we plan to start in Anchorage, uh, move our way down into the Kenai Peninsula, Look at icebergs and whales and puffins and whatnot, and then uh, maybe go see Mount McKinley and look for gold, and that'll all be uh, a source of entertainment, and hopefully many uh, a food porn will come out of that. Yes, I thought you were going to say that you were going to go look at moose and elk and whales and puffins and then eat some of them. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> I, I, I have been in, I, I'll say I have been to Alaska before, and on one of the, um, the whaling uh, cruises, for lack of a better word, it was more of a, uh, you know, a junket. It was just a little boat that goes out in the harbor. For the day, but they had reindeer dogs, and that was the first time I had had a reindeer that I can recall, hmm. and it was quite good. Okay. Although, if you're on an icy cold boat and someone hands you a hot dog that's warm, you know the standards might be low. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember exactly. I just know that I liked it. So yes, we'll uh, we'll look for updates from, you know, uh, the 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 giantest state that there is, indeed, and. Uh, I guess that kind of leads us into project updates, which um, we wanted to cover a couple of things in project updates. Did I cue the theme? There we go. Okay. Yeah, one of the things that occurred to me when we were about to record today's Sajcast was that people might not know why exactly we're called the Sons of Joy. Exactly. Exactly. And since we're being honest, I think this would be a good occasion to explain it. Yes, we're not related to Charles Joy. No. That and, we know of. And he enthusiastically supports that position by saying, <laughs> these guys are no relation to me at all. Not my kids. Not my kids. Right. And there would have to be some sort of time-space anomaly for that to be true anyway. Oh, it's enough to be rejected by Charles. Don't worry. Uh, uh, and when we say Charles, we mean the... Um, the producer and star of the Stacks of Comics podcast. Yes. At Thanos Rules, even. Yes. So, yes, Charles Joy. That's who we mean. enough. Yes. Oddly, that's who we mean. <laughs> uh, but our first uh, novel that we wrote together, which we completed in, I want to say, 2000. Yes. Which now seems like a very long time ago. <laughs> it really does. Um, we This is a novel um, entitled Sons of Joy about things that you should read about when the book is published. And we uh, managed to get this written living 1,200 miles apart. Yes. Uh, because you lived in Florida and I lived where I seem always to have lived here. And we had to arrange time to write the books. And so at one point, 
I was in Florida visiting my in-laws with my very tiny babies, and I had to escape to go and sequester ourselves, as I recall, with uh, brown liquor, chocolate bars, and a uh, word processor so that we could get this book written. And, and chocolate bars is really a misnomer. These were coffee tables that are made of chocolate. Yes, I, I, I do believe that I had, because, you know, um, in our in our ultimate dream of being scribes, we want someone else to take care of us. And so I arrived, sat in a chair, got my typing fingers ready, and said, I require the following things. A bottle of brown liquor and a chocolate bar as big as a table. And it was your ex-wife who went out and procured them, as I recall. Yes, that was nice of her. That was nice of her. So she has actually contributed to the novel that has been languishing in a, in a trunk, real or imagined, or electronic, uh, low these many years. Well, and there were also, uh, we went to a, uh, there were a number of occasions where we, we did that work at uh, Tallahassee, Oxford, Mississippi, right. and, and so on. But anyway, the, the bottom line is we, we created a book called The Sons of Joy. The story is about body swapping. We can go that far. Mm -hmm. So um, it's kind of an interesting take on body swapping, at least we thought so, enough to write a whole book about it. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, the title, to which we now have kind of glommed on professionally, is um, a reference to a rather antiquated term for prostitutes. So prostitutes back in the day were known as daughters of joy because they would, well, bring joy to their customers. And since the book is about men who are, well, in some form or another, prostituting their bodies by swapping them out, uh, we, we just took that as Sons of Joy. And since then, we've formed a company with the same name, and uh, we've got wireless routers that have this name, and all sorts of Saj-related things. We've got Saj t-shirts and bumper stickers. That's right. It's, it's a, it became a huge paraphernalia for the book that, as of this date, has not been published. Yes. Uh, and the screenplay, which we also oh, have right. a screenplay we for. We also have a screenplay for that as well. So we did a lot of work on this book. We did. And um, since we're already past project updates, I think it's important to remember, as I often say, uh, being of a historical bent, look at what the Romans were able to accomplish without electricity and um, indoor plumbing. So um, we managed to write a book without proximity. Now that we, um, we live within six miles of each other, and I work every day in the first floor of your building that you own. Studio Z. Studio Z. Um, we should be able to get more accomplished more with more forthright uh, forward motion and so honestly speaking um uh, when you look at past accomplishments we should be able to do better uh having uh, improved on our resources as it were yeah i mean we we have also picked up more liabilities along the way unfortunately or fortunately depending on how you want to slice that tomato but yeah uh, i mean i guess our our update for the week in the form of honesty is we didn't really get jack accomplished <laughs> Right. Towards we, our goal of of completing Saving Emily. Yes, our book about a zombie girl. And honestly, we simply did no work. And so, to be factual, that is exactly what happened. We did not review our, our existing chapters. We have chapters one through... Chapter one is nearly finished. Chapters two and three are in, in loose draft mode. That requires some firming up. And even if we were not able to sit in front of the screen... Together and write it line by line, which seems to work best, we could have done something. Well, I wouldn't be overly harsh on us because there is also the campaign to get the book published in which um, apparently you've created another blog or, or you've written it but haven't yet published it. Mm -hmm. And I continue to put out the Zombie Guy comic hoping to build a following so that when we have a book that we have more people who know who we are and will want to will wanna read it. 
And so, if you're paying attention, we have also been podcasting on a regular basis. What's that? Yes. Podcasting? I don't want to pull the wool over your eyes. But honestly speaking, we have been podcasting. And it's all um, uh, to help uh, spring the book into life. Yes. And build the so, community. Build the community. Fans. Right. To, to get people interested in our work. And so that when the book comes along, they don't have to buy into the whole, well, who are these guys? Because we're hoping that... They should already know if they have gone back as instructed and listened to every Sajcast since the first one and read every episode of Zombie Guy. So in the uh, in the interest of honesty, I think we sat down at some point this week and said, well, our goal of having the book out this summer seems to be uh, not going to happen. <laughs> we seem to have missed that boat. Well, and for those of you who are, are uh, paying attention to the date and timestamp of this particular Sajcast... It is August 22nd. 22nd. And so summer is just about over. And so when we say we're probably not going to meet our pre-existing timetable, we're not kidding around. We're pretty serious. The book will not be done in the summer. But uh, it begged the next question, because as we are focused on asking the right question, well then, when realistically should we expect this book to be out? Yeah, and we're thinking that between my vacation, which is nigh upon us mm. and then you have one not terribly long after that right um hopefully we're saying what uh by the end of september we should be able to focus all of our efforts on this and finish this sucker up right and uh, it bears which is not to say rush no no because we have found that the best way to write this book is to sit at the screen and kind of go line by line and to plan things out as assiduously as we plan these sajcasts more so even more so even and then, um, you know, and then get the book written and be willing to accept our best effort as good enough, which is, which is the torturous process by which we got the book Sons of Joy written and the torturous process by which we got chapter one of Saving Emily written. Yes. It was torturous. It took us almost an entire week. Um, it took, in terms of hours, it probably took 60 to 100 hours to get chapter one to where we said, oh, this is good. We'll take that. So we just need to do 100 times, what, 13? <laughs> yes. Except, of course, there were rife with interruptions. Yes. And that, I think, is something that we're going to have to account for, honestly, in, in going forward. But at the same time, if we don't commit to getting this book written, it's not going to get done. That's true. And again, to be fair to ourselves, I mean, we may have only walked away with 12 pages of Chapter 1, but we had a pretty detailed outline for nearly everything in the book right we've done a lot of work um being planners um we have certainly planned it out and the, and and for those of you writers out there who may already know this or aspiring writers who don't knowing what happens in the book and knowing how it ends is the key to getting it <laughs> and and well now i gotta say that that's something that may almost seem obvious but it's really not there are authors who start their book and just don't know how it's going to end yeah you wing it for a while you wing it for a while to see where it goes and and there is something to be said for that because yeah. we have another book. Well, I was going to say there's been a there's been a couple of zombie guys that Sunday morning I had no freaking idea what they were going to look Absolutely. like. Absolutely, and some of them have been really uh, one of some of the best ones I I thought. So yeah. right, and well, and and, and like uh, the blog that I'm writing, which is quasi autobiographical about how I lived in a Winnebago for five years. Um, you wake up in the morning and say, "What am I going to blog about today?" And let's see, what do we have to work with? I lived in a Winnebago for five years. Well, I've probably got somewhere to go with that. Let's see what happens. Yeah. You know. And um, and that's recollecting, too. I mean, you're not inventing, presumably, the story. 
I'm filling in details. You may I be may, embellishing a little. I, well, not to lie, but I'm but I am filling in details I may not have been privy to, and I may be as, ascribing motive to people that may not have been there. But neither am I going to call them up and say, "How well do you remember 1982 <laughs> and the time that our Winnebago was careening down the hill toward Lake Mead and Hoover Dam?" Well, no one's going to remember that. Yeah. So. Um, but the notion of, you know, just writing the book and seeing where it goes uh, is sometimes good and sometimes not good. But uh, in this case, given the state of interruptions, tight planning, tight organization, I think, is going to get it done. And we are going to have to commit, honestly, to the timetable that we've set up. Yeah. And I have to say, I mean, the the level of detail that we've done um, has not, we've not, in any of the books that we've written previous, has not come even close to this level of detail. And we've we've actually turned a, a bunch of ideas that we didn't think we had um, around, and and a, a bunch of things have come out this way that uh, wouldn't have come out, I think, had we written it just you know diving in straight away. Right, exactly, because we want it to be believable. And once you accept zombies as a fan, <laughs> yeah, if you can put that behind you, and I think when you read this, you you will, you will. Um, we would like the situations to be believable. And for those of you who listen to the Sodgecast, in which we very nearly cut off a guy's leg, and I'm not going to tell you which one, because you have to listen to them all, it's that kind of realism that we're going for. Because when you're reading a good book, you don't know it. You're so immersed in the story yeah. that you're not aware of what it is that you're doing. You're not aware of the artificial construct of you reading words on a printed page and letting your imagination build the world around you. And we want our book to be that way, and you cannot strike a false note and expect that illusion to continue. Yes. So anyway, we'll uh, in future project updates, we'll come back with our actual timeline once we agree to it. We'll, we'll throw a teaser out here, too, that we're, we're hoping to do a Kickstarter on that, although we may have mentioned that in one of the previous podcasts, I don't remember. But uh, yeah, our, our goal, um, we think we can get this published electronically ourselves, but we'd like to see it in hard copy, and so we plan to have a Kickstarter around... Getting a hard copy to people yes. uh, who want it. And we'll throw in an e-copy. Why not? That's right. Because uh, we'd like to share our work with the community, and Kickstarter is one way to get that done. I think we said when we, we published the Sons of Joy, well, not published, but printed it for the uh, first group of readers, there was a quote in there, which I think I just made up, that said, an unread book is a monstrous thing. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, you don't want to have something and have no one seen it. That's just sad. It is. Uh, but seeing that we're at the one hour mark, we better jump on the food porn bandwagon before the bus leaves. Yes, and in the, for the sake of honesty, there is no food porn wagon. <laughs> dun, dun, well, no. I meant until the ne next bus rolls by. That's right. See, there you go. Which seems to happen every three minutes. <laughs> So, food porn and honesty. This will be interesting. Mm. Although I, I have to say, I don't, I don't remember us uh, providing any deception at all. There was a lot of omission, obviously, but that's why we ended up talking about the best thing that I ate this week, and sometimes even more. But we, um, we both had um, experiences that were, well, I don't know if yours was a mixed bag. Mine was a mixed bag. Um, yours may have just been bad, <laughs> if you wanted to go with that. Well, if we're going to talk about the steady decline of the food porn section of the Sajcast as a result of us being on a carbohydrate-restricted diet, which I am I am getting off of uh, the beginning of next week, a couple days before I leave for Alaska, so that I won't be stuck eating just moose. <laughs> well, that is nice. And what that means to you loyal listeners 
is that the post-Alaska foodborne sections will be quite good. We'll pick up a little. Well, well God willing. <laughs> well, I think it's incumbent upon you now as the uh, representative gallivanter and epicurean that you're going to have to represent. But what it means now is that we are trying to make food porn on restricted diets, and that, well, sometimes that works, and sometimes that doesn't. Um, much like porn itself. So, here we are. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So, you want to go first? I'll go first. The, uh, the best thing that I ate this week is my girlfriend's chicken salad. And, uh, I thought it was carnitas. Well, she is quite a good cook, and there are quite a number of things to choose from. But I'm going to go with the chicken salad because I think it might be more accessible. Uh, oh. Not that anyone should send her requests to make it for them or show up at the house and have her cook. But um, when you're on a carbohydrate-restricted diet, you are casting far and wide yes. to find things that you can eat that give you some variety. Because when you look at the meats... Even if you go crazy and include things like ostrich and buffalo and elk and moose, after a while, you circle back around again to the first meat and you go on from there. And yeah. so creativity becomes even more important. And this is where my girlfriend, Laura, actually shines because she can make things that it might have been the same meat we had yesterday, technically. Today's a chicken, yesterday's a chicken, but today is chicken salad. And it can be so good that, as I have said... That the testament to actual food is that it what what it goes best with is a fork. Yes. It requires no accompaniment. It requires no crusty loaf of bread or any kind of cracker. It is good enough to just eat right out of the bowl. And so, uh, not to disappoint, because I know that fans of the Sodgecast will know that my detail when it comes to food porn is somewhat lacking, I will be able to tell you what is in the chicken salad. What we have is... Shocker. Chicken, uh, hard-boiled eggs, chives, celery, something called Jane's Crazy Mixed-Up Salt, which um, I'm not sure it exists for real, but we'll look it up and determine whether it's true or not, and pepper. That's it. Mix it up and then eat it until it is gone. That is the best thing that I ate this week. And since we're having some honesty in there, I know you, you mentioned a meal that was less than stellar. It was, and I got to say that uh, it was after um, stalking Robert Irvine on location. We it was late, and we were hungry, and um, we went to Chipotle, which is kind of a staple in my house because it is the go-to if no one can decide what they want to eat, because it is one of the things that everyone can agree upon. And so, um, so we we stopped on our way home from the stalking, and. Um, it was just not great. I had uh, I had a bowl with salad, no rice, no beans, two kinds of meat, some tomatoes, and some sour cream. And it was just, it was not the best thing I ate this week. And it was not up to what I consider to be Chipotle's usual fine standards. You will return to Chipotle, no doubt. Again, yes. it was just a, that day for whatever reason. I think it was the, 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 the power of the food network. <laughs> yes, it was probably it was probably that everything was kind of a letdown after the the high of successfully stalking even a minor celebrity and his handyman. Okay, so I will uh add to the list a single restaurant, although I don't know the name of it, which is a bit odd because it just it's recently changed hands and so the uh, the name that you and I uh, grew up loving is the only one that I, I can recall, which was uh, Wings and Curls in uh, Hollywood, Florida. It's not near here. 
as it turns out. So I was once again gallivanting, although this time it was uh, purely for, well, I guess personal reasons in that uh, my daughter was uh, between summer and fall sessions at the University of West Florida, where you had seen her. So she was down in Fort Lauderdale and my son was hadn't yet left for college as well. So I went down to see them both for a couple of days. So while I was there, being on a restrictive diet, I uh, didn't really have the options that I would like to. Uh, there's many delightful tales to tell in South Florida of Cuban food, you know, and Jamaican food and arroz con pollo and mm, maraquitas. And Shall we say all thing, kinds things of res- redolent with carbohydrates? Yes. Although, although I did pretty well at a couple of Cuban restaurants <clears throat> because they'll, they'll give you a good helping of pork <laughs> and some onions, which isn't so bad. Uh, but anyway, the um, the high and low points were at the same place on two different occasions, um, and it's because we like it so much that we, we go back. And that was at uh, what used to be called Buffalo Wings and Curls, uh, which is on Hollywood Boulevard and 24th Avenue in the Hollywood. And I know you've been there, and I've been there, and uh, growing up, this is what we called the Plastic Emporium, because yes. they did not seem to have any silverware <laughs> at all. It was all plasticware. Well, and and, and to be fair... This was a place whose primary dishes that they served were intended to be eaten with your fingers. Yeah. So for them to have any kind of flatware at all may have just been a, a nod to the health department. <laughs> Indeed. And um, I think they've actually since expanded their menu. But <clears throat> there was a recent change in ownership. And by the time we post this, I'll, I'll have the, the current name there. But luckily, they didn't mess with the wing formula, which was good news. So I went down there and got... Um, 25 wings, uh, and I got them medium, which is my custom there, and they have really spectacular chicken wings. I mean, it used to be all they did. They've expanded the menu a little bit. They've got some sandwiches and whatnot. I couldn't tell you how they are, because <laughs> I had no intention of trying them, um, not to mention the diet. But uh, the chicken wings are cooked in um, a basic sauce of vinegar, butter, or maybe some oil. It's hard to tell at this point. And I believe it's Red's hot sauce. Those three ingredients mixed together <clears throat> are what forms the basis of their sauce. They also have a really amazing blue cheese that has poppy seeds in it for some reason. Yeah, that's weird. Um, so none of that has changed since that restaurant first became a wing place in probably 85. Hmm. Interestingly enough, before that, uh, the restaurants flipped over um, once a year. So it looked like a cursed spot from because that was only a few blocks from where I grew up. And, and that restaurant changed constantly. And I couldn't remember... Any of the ones before that because they flipped over so often. But but wings apparently seem to be the formula that, that stuck there. So anyway, uh, a giant mountain of wings on one of the trips is exactly what uh, I want from a chicken wing. So nice meaty wings uh, cooked to the point where they're crispy but not burnt. And then they just drench them in the sauce. So they're sucking all that up. You've got your blue cheese. you got your celery. They try to provide you with curly fries, which I'll say historically were good. I don't know how they were this time. I can't say. That was all really excellent. That was the second trip. So the second trip was fantastic. The first trip was actually as soon as I landed. So I landed and my daughter was supposed to pick me up from the airport. Um, and this was all prearranged. And when I landed and turned my phone on, I saw the message that said, I might not be able to make it because I'm stuck in traffic because mommy left her phone at the house and I've got to go bring it to her. And I was like, well, this is, I mean, I landed at like 1130 or something. So I'm thinking, well, this is odd. And on the on the flight in, I actually noticed that the highways were just jammed. And I was like, oh, well, where are you? Oh, I'm I'm at Sterling or Griffin. I'm like, well, why don't you just get off? Because you're pretty much where I am. And come get me because I want chicken wings. <laughs> <laughs> because I want chicken wings. I don't it care will... that your mother lost her phone or left it at home. Honestly, I want chicken wings. 
It will also, incidentally, on the way to the chicken wing place, be nice to see you again, daughter. Hey, you want honesty? There it was. She knows I was happy to see her, but she also knows that I was putting my need for chicken wings, or want, desire for chicken wings, above her mother's want or desire for herself. (laughs) Which may be another battle in a long, long fought war. But uh, anyway, I mean, to my to my advantage and on my side, at least, was the fact that she literally was on the exit for the airport. So it, it did make sense to get off there. And so uh, we went and we had uh, chicken wings. This is the first time now, just after I landed. And so I basically had the same order, but with garlic, raw garlic, which they slather over this. And I uh, there's pictures of this I'll show you. And normally it is amazing if you like garlic. Now, your face you're making indicates to me that perhaps you're not as big a fan well, it's of raw garlic. It's also milk. it's also slathered is a is, oh, is oh, a bit yeah. off putting. Oh no, it's yeah, it's no, it's not a mild. You can't see the chicken wings in some of these cases. Okay. It's it's buried under there. But you've got a picture for the fans. So oh yeah, we got a picture. Right. The difference this time was, I think the garlic got funky, or the oil went a little rancid that the the garlic sits in, and so the garlic. From the first bite, it didn't taste right. It was like it was off-puttingly sweet, and and just had a weird flavor. And and finishing notes were just off the wall. So I basically scraped them all clean, um, and went from there, having basically had one bite of a garlicky chicken wing. For the rest of the day, I felt not quite ill, but just off-put. Mm-hmm. And I would be sitting on the couch, and my daughter Margaret would be at the other end of the couch, and I would, <clears throat> and she would say, "Oh my." God, that smells of garlic. And I, I mean, it was the mildest burp across the room. And she was yeah. put off by it. So I was like, that's bad garlic for you. Yeah, something bad <laughs> was going on there. And that, yeah, that stuck with me till the next day where um, my trips to the bathroom continued to have a garlic fragrant floral <laughs> feeling. So that's one way to really throw off an excellent chicken wing uh, meal is uh, with bad garlic. And I, I got to say, that's never happened to me before. That was a first, so... Well, and let me also admire your commitment to total honesty by talking about your bathroom habits here on our family-oriented Sajgast. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, there's there's asparagus pee, and then there's bad garlic pee. And, ooh, there's a difference. I believe that future Sajcasts may have to be uh, sponsored by gentle deception <laughs> and obscurity, polite deflections, so as to keep the awful and disgusting garlic-scented truth Away from the delicate ears of our listeners. But uh, it goes without saying that uh, it didn't uh, dissuade me from going back uh, two or three days later. Well, and again, for for um, constant listeners of uh, these Sajcasts and the food porn section, a testament to a good restaurant is loyalty Yes, in spite of adversity. Yeah, in the face of bad service or bad food right. or whatever. Yeah. If you're willing to go back, even just to, let's say this, if you're willing to give them at least one more shot, it really does mean something. Yes, absolutely. And so there you were on the second trip, in Talking which they him. in which they redeemed themselves. They did, yeah. Uh, it, w- it was fine. So it was probably just a bad batch of, of garlic. But, you know, for, for chicken wing lovers out there, if you happen to find yourselves in South Florida, that's one of the ones I would certainly recommend. Uh, the one our high school physics professor recommended, if you can remember this. I'll I spring do. this on you. Is, is still there, yeah. Mr. Donate. Yes, and he enjoyed going to... You know, I didn't pass physics, right? Oh, Ricky's. Ricky's! Ah, yeah. And so to tie this all, uh, well, I guess not at all together, but to, to circle this around to another topic, Ricky's has been made somewhat famous 
by a documentary called The King of Kong. Really? Which is about the world championships of the Donkey Kong. And the person who holds the, well, at the time of the, of the documentary, and I won't get too far into it, but who holds the title was the manager of Ricky's Chicken Wings, also on Hollywood Boulevard um, in the 40s, maybe 46, further yeah. up the road. Uh, but yeah, so he's uh, somewhat of a celebrity, a uh, bearded gentleman, always wears an American American flag tie, and uh, really, he set every record in video gaming. It's If you're even mildly interested in video gaming, check out King of Kong, and if you're not, Check it out anyway, because it's a great drama of the guy who is cocky, which is the, the chicken wing uh, manager. Very cocky, but very competent. Yes. Um, who, who battles the, um, the guy who's been working tirelessly in his uh, garage for nearly a decade, trying to master the art of the Donkey Kong to challenge him. And, and it goes back and forth, and it's, it's very, very interesting uh, story-wise. So go check that out for no other reason I'll, I'll throw that in as a as a retroactive review there you <laughs> from go the king of kong since we didn't review anything this week or last week for that matter so and yet, and yet we went an hour and 15 we've got to tighten our stuff up somehow yes well you know when you open the can of worms that is honesty sometimes um, you go along so thanks again for listening to sodgecast number 8 brought to you by honesty makers of credibility and crushed self esteem and we we imagine perhaps someday in the future there'll be a Sajcast sponsored by Filthy Lies. Stay tuned. Yeah.